Matthew chapter 16, Jesus standing at a place called Caesarea Philippi is having a conversation. And in that conversation, he said to Peter, and he said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is a great statement from Jesus to you and me. As we think about First Baptist Church, we're getting ready to celebrate 190 years in ministry in October. And as we celebrate 190 years, we know this, that God has done and is doing a great work in our church. And, and we thank the Lord for that. And as we think about our church, it's not just what we do downtown, but we have a Kirkwood campus. We have a Hispanic ministry and a Korean ministry. There are so many ministries inside those as well. And as we think about the ministry of our church, here's what we're praying for when we think about people connecting with us. We want them to build relationships and we want them to have responsibilities in the fellowship of our church. We know this, that when people join our church, they trust Christ or they move their membership or they connect with us in some way. We know this, that we want them to stay. We want them to assimilate in the fellowship of our church and to become of us, but also serve with us. And if we're going to close the back door in a church, meaning they don't just come in and join and walk away and we never know where they went to, we know that relationships are important and responsibilities are important. They've got to get connected to people, but also they need a place where they're serving and using their spiritual gifts to build up the church and to bring glory unto Christ. And as you'll hear us say over the next number of months a lot, uh, we're really focused on unity and alignment in our ministries. Uh, we just came through some staff retreat stuff, and we talked a lot about unity among us as a ministry team, as a church, but also alignment in our ministries here at First Baptist Church. And as I think about our church, even the structure, and people ask this a lot, as we say, pastor staff led, deacon served, committee operated, and church approved. And as we do, we're seeking leadership from the Holy Spirit to be faithful to him. But as we seek to lead, our deacons are serving. We have people in our church who are serving on various committees and giving their time and serving faithfully. But also as a church, we want you to approve what God is leading us to do. So as we think about First Baptist Church, praise the Lord for what he has done and what he is doing and what he's going to do in and through the ministry of the church, locally but also literally around the world. So I want to take your outline, encourage you to look at that. Number one is trusting the Lord. And we always want to start here when we think about what it means to know Christ. So trusting the Lord. Look at your outline. Everyone wants to be happy. People try many ways. And what I'm giving you here is just what's come out of pastoral ministry for many, many years. What I've seen, what I've experienced with people and walk with people. For example, some look for happiness by acquiring possessions. And here's what I mean by that. They look at their lives and they say, if I can just get more stuff, another house, another car, some other kind of possession, if I can get more stuff, I'll be happy. Here's what you'll find in life, though. You can acquire more and more of the world's stuff and still be miserable. Happiness doesn't come from the stuff of this world. Second, some look for happiness by experiencing pleasure. And they believe that they can go on another vacation, something of a pill, something out of a bottle. Then if they can have pleasure, then they're going to find happiness. But many people do all these things and still wake up in the mornings miserable, lacking direction. What is life all about? Empty. There's got to be more to life than this. And I've seen people have all the pleasure in the world and still be miserable and empty in life. Next, some look for happiness by gaining prestige and power. Here's what they believe. They believe if I can get the corner office, 
if I can have that parking spot close to the building, if I can get the right title, if I can climb the ladder of success, then if I can have prestige and power, then I'm going to be happy. But the problem is they get all those things and they're still empty and they still lack direction and happiness in life. But real happiness comes from discovering my purpose. And I would encourage you to ask this question. Why did God create you? Why has he left you on this earth? What is your purpose in life? And ultimately say this, God, what is your purpose for my life? When you find his purpose, life is going to change for you and for me. Now, look at this. Many people go through life wondering, have I given my life to Jesus? But there are many people who, who, will, who will worship with us through what we're teaching. And they're wondering, have I really given my life to Jesus? They're just not sure about that. Look at the next one. Am I going to heaven? You're going to meet people and you're going to have gospel conversations with people. And you talk about knowing Jesus and you talk about going to heaven. Here's what they're going to say. Maybe I will. I hope I will. I think I will. But they lack assurance of knowing that. Well, the good news is this. You can know Jesus as your personal Savior, and you can have assurance that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And why do I know that? Well, look at this verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I would just encourage you to circle the word know. It's not maybe. It's not hope so. It's not I think I will. You can know Jesus, and you can have the assurance of going to heaven. That is a wonderful promise to you and me. So how do, how do you know that? Look at these blanks again I want to give you. Number one, God loves us. As you think about this verse, and most people know it, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you and he loves me. The one who created this day who created the oceans and the mountains and the skies, the stars, put all those in place. The very one who did that is the same one who loves you and loves me. He created our lives with purpose and meaning. God loves us. Number two, Jesus surrendered his life for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is amazing love. That is unconditional love. He surrendered his life for you and me. Lived a perfect sinless life. Came to this earth. Died on a cross. Buried in a tomb. Raised on the third day. He surrendered everything and shed his blood for you and me. While we were yet sinners, God showed us his love that Jesus Christ died for us. That's incredible love. And then number three, we've all sinned and missed the mark. That is an archery term, meaning you're shooting a bow and arrow and you miss the mark. You miss the bullseye. Have all of us done that? We've all sinned and missed the mark. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I met a man one day not too long ago in a furniture store in Nashville and got into a spiritual conversation with him. And I've not met many of these people in my life, but he said to us that he did not sin. And so we had a spiritual conversation about that as well to say all of us have sinned. The word, do you believe the Bible? Yes, I believe the Bible. Well, the Bible says in Romans 23, that with 323, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you've sinned and I've sinned as well. We've all missed the mark. Number four, salvation isn't something that we achieve or purchase. 
And as you think about that, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus, he said this in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And so as you and I think about salvation, isn't something that we achieve or purchase, then how do we get saved? It is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, again, sinless life, sacrificial death, glorious resurrection. He has paid your sin debt and my sin debt in full, complete. And that is by the cross of Jesus Christ. And then number five, the Lord invites us to turn from our sin and trust him. And so I would just encourage you on the outline, just right out there to the side, the word repentance. Because that's what that is. You change directions. He's asking you to turn from your sin God, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to live in this sinful state. And I'm going to trust him. Again, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He's going to change my life. You give your life to him. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as you and I look over what God's word teaches, if you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never called on his name, you felt like you could be saved by living a good life or doing religious things, but you've never called on the name of Jesus, we just appeal to you and pray for you that you will surrender your life and give your life to Jesus, confess him as your Lord, surrender your life to him, and if you'll call on his name, you will be saved. He'll take you from spiritual death to spiritual life, darkness into his glorious light only jesus christ can do that and that's why we encourage you to give your life to christ now on your outline we've given you a prayer that you can pray from your heart to god's heart somebody around you may be able to lead you in that you you comment to us or you email us we'd love to come alongside you and help you know christ and lead you to give your life to him Uh, i was witnessing to someone in a local restaurant just the other day and we got to the end, and, and she did not have the assurance that she knew Christ. I encourage her to pray and give her life to the Lord Jesus. I even said to her, if, if you're willing, I'll lead you in a prayer. My words aren't magical. If you'll pray from your heart to God's heart, he will save you. And so we joined hands in that restaurant and another person with me. And then all of a sudden, I didn't even say a word. She started confessing her sin and gave her life to Jesus Christ in the restaurant just on her own. He will save people. And so we just encourage you, if you do not know Christ, surrender your life to Jesus. Let him change your life, give you purpose, and show you what real, real life is about in him. That is trusting Jesus. Look at the second part, obeying Jesus' command. And what is next? A person gives his or her life to Jesus. And then what is the next step? Because you want to be obedient and you want to start growing in your relationship to him. So here's the statement. Why should a new believer be baptized? Uh, We encourage the people to follow Jesus Christ. When they have trusted Christ to be saved, we encourage them to go public in their relationship with him and then be baptized as a new believer in Christ. You're not baptized to be saved. You're baptized in obedience to Christ. So as we see this, one of the first steps of obedience 
And there are many steps of obedience. We want you to read your Bible. We want you to pray. We want you to be faithful in giving. We want you to gather with God's people and grow together and worship together. But one of the first steps of obedience is for you to follow Jesus as a believer in biblical baptism. One of the things we're celebrating here in our church is that we're desiring to see more and more people come to Christ and be baptized. It is a glorious day at First Baptist Church that we're seeing people baptized almost every Sunday in our church fellowship. They're not being baptized to be saved. They're being baptized because they're being obedient to Christ. He has saved them, and they want other people to know that. And so they're doing it out of obedience to Christ. Why should a new believer be baptized? Let me give you these reasons. Number one, Jesus modeled baptism. As you look in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When we're in the Holy Land and traveling throughout that country, one of the places we love to come to, the Jordan River, and some people out of obedience to Christ, some people out of identification with Christ will follow him in baptism in the Jordan River because they want to be baptized where Jesus was baptized. But Jesus modeled for us this step of obedience. Again, he'd never sinned, so baptism doesn't save you. He was just modeling an obedient heart and spirit for you and me. Number two, Jesus commands baptism. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we'll come to in just a little bit later. He just says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptism is what Jesus commands you and me to do. And so we just encourage you, follow Jesus, be obedient to him, Here's what he's modeled. Follow his command and say yes to biblical baptism. Let other people know that Jesus has changed your life. Number three, Jesus uses baptism. Romans chapter 6 verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He will use your obedience to minister to other people. And so as you stand in the baptismal waters, you're giving a testimony that Jesus Christ has changed your life. You're you're a new creation in him. You've been born again. And your desire is to be obedient to him. You're going to be buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. You invite unsaved family members and friends and others to be here to witness that. And he uses your story, your obedience to minister to so many other people. And so we just encourage you again, if you know Christ and you've never been baptized, just comment to us or email us. We would love to help you and point you in the right direction so that you could know Christ and you could be obedient to him in biblical baptism. Look at this next step. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. However, it shows that you already believe. Baptism doesn't save you. And when I say save again, save from death to life. Baptism does not do that. Only your faith in Jesus Christ does that. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It is the outward symbol of the commitment you made in your heart. Oftentimes I'm talking to children about what it means to know Christ. And one of the things I'll do with them is talk about a wedding ring. You see this wedding ring, what does that mean? It means you're married. And I say, absolutely. Angie and I have been married for many, many years. I love her dearly. And then I ask kids this question. If I take my wedding ring off, are we still married or are we no longer married? And they look at me with this profound look and say, well, absolutely you're married. You're still still married. That's exactly what baptism is. Jesus 
by his death, burial, and resurrection changes our lives. And then we want to be obedient to him in an outward way, and that is biblical baptism, that we're buried in his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Here at First Baptist Church, what steps are taken when you're baptized? Let me give you these. You're confident of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that we do before we baptize anyone, we have spiritual conversations with them, making sure that they are sincere and they know without any question that they've turned from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, We want to make sure they know that. Just as we go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. You understand the biblical meaning behind New Testament baptism. It's not sprinkling. We take people completely under the water, buried with him in death, raised to walk in newness of life. You'll receive a call from a person in a church office during the week of your baptism. This person will explain to you what to wear and what time to be in the baptismal area. We want to make sure we answer whatever questions you may have so that you're not nervous or anxious. We want to help and minister to you and walk with you through your baptism experience. You're encouraged to invite family members and friends to come and experience your baptism. What a glorious experience. For you to know Christ and be obedient to him in baptism, that you would invite people you love and know in life to come and witness your obedience to Christ. And again, he will use that to minister to other people in your life. And then you'll receive baptism instructions from one of our pastors on our pastoral team about what to expect once in the water. Sometimes people are nervous about that, so we want to help them to say, here's how we're going to walk down in the water, here's where you're going to stand, here's what I'm going to say, here's what we're going to do, and then we walk through the entire process. And so we encourage you, if you need to know Jesus, contact us. We encourage you, if you need to be faithful to him and obedient to him in baptism, contact us. We would love to see you know him, but also be obedient to him in believers' biblical baptism. Next is remembering the Lord. As we think about the church, and here's the question here, what is the Lord's Supper? Uh, That's a vital ministry and experience of worship for those of us who are believers. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me give you some insights here about the Lord's Supper. Number one, it's about worship. The Lord's Supper is about worship. Yes, we're going to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And we're going to eat the piece of bread and we're going to drink the cup of juice. But it's about worship because when we take the bread and the juice, we're remembering who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. He reveals himself and we respond to him. Observing the Lord's Supper together as God's people is an act of worship. Because we're being obedient to him. Worship is obedience. So we're doing the very thing he commanded us to do. And that's to take the bread and the juice and remember me. That is worship. Number two, it's a reminder. And here's what it reminds us. When I take the piece of bread and the cup of juice, it reminds me that that I didn't pay for my sin. Jesus did that. It reminds me that I was lost and I couldn't save myself. Only Jesus did that. And when I take the piece of bread and the cup of juice, it reminds me that Jesus Christ, as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. 
So, so it's about worship, but it's also a reminder. Number three, it's a symbol. When I take the piece of bread, it's symbolic of his broken body, beaten and bruised and humiliated for you and for me. When I take the cup of juice, it's symbolic of the shedding of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so when we take the bread and the juice, it is symbolic of his broken body and his shed blood. And then number four, it's a sermon. When you and I observe the Lord's Supper together as, as a body of believers, it is a sermon. What does that mean? It's to look backwards and it's to look forwards. Look what he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a powerful sermon for you and me. As I take the piece of bread and drink the cup of juice, I'm preaching a sermon to say, look what he did but look what he's going to do. And one day he's coming again. It's a powerful sermon. Now, next statement. Only those who are already believers should observe the Lord's Supper. Again, observing the Lord's Supper, taking the, the bread and the juice are not going to save you. Just like baptism is not going to save you. Only Jesus Christ will save you. And so out of obedience to him, you observe the Lord's Supper and you take the bread and you drink the juice because you're a believer. At First Baptist Church, Clarksville, we observe the Lord's Supper every fifth Sunday and at other special times during the year too. We want to have a regular practice where as a body of believers, we come together as God's people and we take the bread and the juice and we remember him. We remember what the Lord has done for us and what he's promised us. Look at the next part, sharing God's vision. As I think about this section, as we think about our church, uh, we have goals and objectives, things that we're seeking to do for the glory of God. It's been our desire and prayer this year that we would see at least 101 people know Christ and be biblically baptized. I pray he exceeds that. pray revival would break out and we'd see a spiritual awakening. We would see far more than that. We've even had goals about Wednesday nights. We, we love seeing you in the sanctuary and being involved in midweek here at First Baptist Church. That is a blessing. Uh, we, we've had goals of sending people as messengers and guests to the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to be in Nashville, Tennessee this year. But we want to see many of our people representing our faith family at the Southern Baptist Convention engaged in our convention of churches. We also have had a goal about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We've had a goal about Easter weekend that we celebrated a number of weeks ago. We've even got a goal of a capital campaign that we'd be able to raise this October a large amount of money. Again, nothing is impossible with God that we could literally be debt-free on this building. That would be to the glory of God to see him do that. And so as we think about sharing God's vision, let me give you these two scripture verses. One is known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he just says, these are marching orders for those of us who are believers. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us as we obey him to the nations. And then the second one you see is known as the Great Commandment, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So when we see the Great Commission, we're to go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing, teaching. Jesus promised that he's always with us. And then we come to the great commandment. He says, I want you to love me with all of your mind, heart, and soul, and strength. But also I want you to love your neighbors yourself, much like the Ten Commandments, first four commandments about our relationship with God, the other six commandments about our relationships with other people. And so when I'm a visual person, but when I see the great commandment about loving God and loving our neighbors, I see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way I can love God and the only way I can love people around me the way he wants me to is because I've experienced the love of God in Christ on the cross for you and for me. Cross is powerful. Now, look at these next statements. First Baptist Church, Clarksville, exists too. And I've given you four statements. I'm going to give you some other words right out to the side of that. But here are these. One is worship God. We exist to worship God. He is worthy to be worshiped. And here's the value of that. We value truth. As we worship him, we want to make sure we worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth matters. And so as we worship God, let's be about truth. Second there is to love people. We're called to love people in the great commandment. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we want to love people. The word out to the side, the value of that is service. We love people by serving people. Jesus loved his disciples in John 13 by taking a towel and a basin of water and washing their feet. We love people by serving people. That's a value. Next is share Jesus. And the value of that, you can write out to the side, missions. We want to see people engaged missionally in our city, in our state, our nation, but to the nations around the world. We want to have gospel conversations with people. If we worship God and we love people, it's only natural for us to share Jesus with them. And then the last one, and make disciples, the value out to the side of that is community. We value community, community relationships. We're better when we're together. Relationships matter in the life of the church. And so when we think about who we are, we exist to worship God, we exist to love people, we exist to share Jesus, and we exist to make disciples. Those are based on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Next, seven biblical purposes guide our church to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. These things, regardless of the size of the church, whether it's a small church, large church, regardless of the structure of the church, these things should be evident in a healthy New Testament, biblically functioning church. Number one is worship. And what does that mean? It just simply says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What does that mean? He is worthy to be worshiped. He is holy. He is awesome. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is everywhere. He is worthy to be worshipped. He reveals and we respond. So we want to be a church that worships the Lord God Almighty in spirit and in truth. Number two is evangelism. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We must be passionate as a church to tell his story and our stories. His story of what? Sinless life, sacrificial death, burial in a tomb, glorious resurrection on the third day, 
But our story is the grace of God has changed us. We're no longer lost. We're saved. We're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for him. We have the assurance that we're going to spend eternity in heaven when this life is over. We need to be sharing his story and our stories with other people. Evangelism is at the heart of who we are as a church. Number three, discipleship. You don't separate evangelism and discipleship in the Great Commission. They go together. And again, Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When we think about discipleship, we think about these areas, connect groups. It's our desire to see every person in our fellowship connected to a connect group, learning God's word, sharing life together with a smaller group of people, building healthy relationships in the family of God. We desire to see people in D groups. These are smaller groups to redefine people, same gender. You're walking together in life. You're studying God's word together, keeping each other accountable, asking one another hard questions, and just sharing life together. And then somewhere under God's leadership, discipleship happens one-to-one. Restaurant table, sitting in the living room, sitting somewhere else, just one-to-one, same gender. You're walking with people in life, and as iron sharpens iron, you're pouring your life into somebody else. Learners and followers of Jesus, that is the heart of discipleship. It's becoming like him. Number four, fellowship. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. That's something you're not going to see in the world. But when you are a part of the body of Christ, every day is not going to be a sunshiny day. Some days are going to be rain and storms. Not every day you're going to find yourself on a mountaintop. Some days you're going to be in the valley, and you're going to need people who are going to walk with you through the storms of life. Bear one another's burdens. You ever have any burdens in your life? All of us do. You need somebody who will come alongside you, who will fellowship with you, who will share life with you. Fellowship is not just a location in a building. It's not just about donuts and coffee and those things. It's about sharing life together. And we need that in our lives, fellowship. Number five, ministry. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Please understand this next statement. He saved us from sin, but he saved us for service. And so he saved us for ministry. He saved you, saved me. He left us here on this earth. He's gifted us, and he has saved us and left us here and gifted us so that we would serve him and love other people. So he saved us from sin and saved us for service. Number six, missions. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And here at First Baptist Church, as we think about missions, we think about these five things. We want to pray, we want to give, we want to go, we want to send, and we want to educate. Here at First Baptist Church, we've committed to give 10% undesignated receipts to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention that we're supporting the North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, sending people to the nations, sharing the good news of Jesus like he commanded. Uh, We just came through a series where we were giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We encouraged our preschoolers, our kids, our students, our adults to do that. We almost tripled our goal as a church, giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Every one of those age groups exceeded the goal that they had set. We want to be a mission-minded, mission-sending church. 
And as we look at that again, we want to pray, we want to give, we want to go, we want to send, and we want to educate. And then number seven is the word prayer. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Here was a church, the early church, prayed, prayer undergirded everything they did as a church. And as we think about our church, and as we think about all that God is calling us to do, we are to be a house of prayer. We are to allow prayer to undergird everything we need to do, direction and people and needs. We want to be a praying, praying church. And as we think about these seven things, when we worship him and we evangelize and we make disciples and we fellowship together and we serve and we, we're going out on missions and we pray, we're going to see God do some incredible things in and through our church for his glory. Now, here's what I want to encourage you. If you need to make a spiritual decision or you've got a question, a spiritual question, or you just need somebody to pray for you, we want to encourage you to comment to us or email us because we would love to help you know Christ. We would love to answer any questions you might have. We may not know the answer, but we'll get back to you. Or we want to help and come alongside and pray for you and your need. And so if you'll comment to us or email us, we will help you in your walk with Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, again, for the teaching of the word. Thank you for First Baptist Church. And God, may we be a church that's faithful to the Great Commission and faithful to the Great Commandment. And may we see you do a great work and the glory goes to you. And Father, we pray again for those who worship with us in person and online. If they have a spiritual need or they have a question or they just need someone to pray with them and for them. Lord, we pray that they would contact us because we would love to serve and love them and minister to them and bring glory to you. And thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.